Okay. So we've been doing a series on the healthy heart. Uh, We've gone over the four enemies of the human heart, the things that really kind of um, war against our heart as far as peace and communion with Christ. Um, We've gone over what it is to guard our heart, the precedence that the Word of God places upon the guarding of our heart, and oftentimes how much we actually neglect our heart. Daryl, last week, I haven't gotten to hear his message, but I think it was along the lines of, like, guarding our heart um, from offense, like offense with the ways of God and disappointment when we don't understand the ways of God. So this week, um, I'm going to be sharing, actually, about a healthy heart is a whole heart, and we're going to be talking about wholeheartedness. And then next week, you do not want to miss, because Daryl's been preparing a message on um, a pure heart, and that will be our final Sunday on the heart series, and then we're actually going to move into gratitude, Um, which if you're kind of like, oh, Thanksgiving, gratitude, of course, we all give thanks. Gratitude should be a habitual response in our life, really for a healthy heart. So it's really like an overflow of the heart series. Um, So we're going to talk about wholeheartedness today. And for most of us in the room, when we hear the the word wholehearted, we immediately either have a, a couple of responses. One of those can be is that wholeheartedness is impossible, that there's no way to be completely wholehearted, that it's somehow unattainable or unachievable, or even when we hear it, it could feel burdensome to us. Then there's another group of people that when we hear the word wholehearted, to be wholehearted, we actually think, I have a desire to be wholehearted, but I feel as though I continually fail in my pursuit of that. Um, And I don't think that there's anybody here in the room or around the globe that could go, yes, wholehearted, I am wholehearted, and I've perfected the pursuit of wholeheartedness, and I'm living victoriously in it. I think it's a pursuit that we work towards. Um, And so two things. Number one, I want to look at biblically the call to wholeheartedness and the joy and the reward of wholeheartedness, but I also want to disarm the the place of defeat of when we feel as though we failed because we're going to look closely at the, the heart of David, who obviously knew great defeat, but how the Lord... Uh, qualified him and spoke over him, which is deeply encouraging for all of us. So what I'm actually going to do is because, you know, when you think about wholeheartedness, it's not actually like an anomaly in the Word of God, like a rare side issue that like one or two people were wholehearted or maybe really radical, amazing people like John the Baptist, like those real like superior people in the faith were called to it. And the rest of us kind of get a, a uh, an easy pass, <laughs> that it's different for us or somehow there's a lesser requirement or standard or call upon our life. What we're going to look at, and I'm, I'm going to read to you just really fast so you can actually get some context as far as the Word of God, but what we're going to look at is it is not only an invitation to every single one of us, it is the call for every single one of us. And I firmly believe that the fulfillment that we have in life But also the fulfillment that we have in our walk with the Lord is directly related to pursuing wholeheartedness. And like I said, I'm not saying that we're perfecting it, but the pursuit of it and posturing our lives in that way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you um, several passages of Scripture so you can understand the context throughout the Word of God and the call for wholeheartedness. Deuteronomy 4.29. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
Deuteronomy 10, 12, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, listen diligently to my commands, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Deuteronomy 13, 3. The Lord our God proveth you whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Deuteronomy 26, 16. You shall therefore keep these statutes and do them with all your heart and with all of your soul. Deuteronomy 30, verse 2. You shall obey his voice with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Deuteronomy 30, 60. I'm sorry, 36. The Lord our God will circumcise your heart to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And then this is the words of Joshua. Joshua 22, 5. Take diligent heed to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him. And here's this word again. With all of your heart and with all of your soul. And then the words of Samuel. 1 Samuel 12, 20. Turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. And then we actually find the words of David um, when he is speaking to King King Solomon. Um, If thy children take heed to their way and walk before me in truth with all of their heart and with all of their soul. Hear God's word concerning David. This is um, what was spoken through David. Um, about David, my servant David, who followed me with all of his heart to do that which was right in my eyes. And then Solomon at the dedication of the temple, if, this is what he spoke. If they return to thee with all of their heart and all of their soul, our prayers will be heard in this place. And then Jehu, 2 Kings ten thirty one. The Lord said unto Jehu, thou hast done well in executing that which is right in my sight. But Jehu took no, no heed to walk in the law of the Lord with all of his heart. Josiah, 2 Kings 23, uh, verse 3. The king and all of the, the men of Judah made a covenant with the Lord to walk after the Lord with all of their heart and with all of their soul, to perform the words of their covenant that they were written in this book. There, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might. Um, Jehoshaphat, Second uh, Chronicles twenty two nine. He sought the Lord with all of his heart. Second uh, Chronicles fifteen. We're actually going to look closely at the life of Asa, so I won't go through it right now. But uh, Hezekiah, Second Chronicles thirty one twenty one. In every work that he began to seek God, seek his God, he did it with all of his heart and prospered. And then the Psalmist David. Most of us are familiar with him. I will praise thee with my whole heart. He also said in Psalm 119, um, blessed, blessed are, 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 sorry, blessed, blessed who seek him with the whole heart. With the whole heart have I sought thee. I will keep your law. Yes, I will observe it with my whole heart. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. I cried out to the Lord with my whole heart. I mean, on and on. I mean, this is through the Psalms. It continues. I'm sure I'm boring some of you. (laughs) But the extraordinary thing is the emphasis in the word of God toward the totality of our hearts before God. The, the, not the partiality or give it your best go, but what he's calling for is wholeheartedness. Jeremiah 20, uh, 24, 7. 
I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. You shall seek me, and you shall find me when you search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 32, 39. I will give them one heart that they may fear me forever. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them, to, but do good to them. But I will put my fear in their heart, and they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do good. With my whole heart and with my whole soul, I have sought the Lord. Then Joel two twelve. Therefore also now, says the Lord, turn to, to, turn to me with all of your heart. Zephaniah 3.14, shout out Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart before the Lord. Take his judgments. He goes on and puts the emphasis upon wholeheartedness. And then most of us are familiar actually with Matthew 22.37. This is when the disciples come to Jesus and they basically are asking, they're looking for a breakdown. What's the greatest commandment? Like if we're going to boil it all down. Okay, so these are the words of Jesus. So we should pay pretty close attention. Because we just, I mean, we read the, the, the words of Samuel. We read the words of David. Those are all pretty weighty, all pretty important. But then we find in Matthew 22, the disciples, the words of Jesus should be treasured. I mean, there's insight. There's wisdom. So they come to Jesus and they say, if you're going to boil it all down to one thing, if there's one thing and one thing only that we are to do, and what was the words of Jesus? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all of your mind. And what did Jesus say? He said, this is the first, and this is the greatest commandment. And really what's understood from that, the first and the greatest commandment, is if you do this first, really everything else will follow after that. Everything comes as an overflow and a byproduct. But he's saying it's the greatest commandment that it should have the, the preeminence in our life, that we give heed and we give counsel and we give attention to. Now, let's just think about it this way. How many of us actually place it as the greatest commandment above all else to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength? Most of us place an emphasis on trying to eradicate sin out of our life. I'm trying to eradicate this or trying to fix this or somehow adjust and modify this. I mean, all the many, many things. We have the list of we should do more, be more, right? We have the list of who we want to be, what we should look like in the eyes of other people, even in the eyes of God. But when he's simply saying, love me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And now what that actually does is it wipes out the American understanding of we offer him our, like, little, our, our very best over here. We do it with a wing and a prayer, and we hope his grace covers the rest. Really, I just want to encourage everybody that what we look at in the Word of God today, I understand that there's many that would begin to just say, okay, where is grace in the process of me almost exerting my effort? And what we need to understand is when we look at the Word of God, is first and foremost is that we are imperfect, and even in our effort, we will always be lacking and always be weak. Even in our, in, in our best of days, us exerting our strength and our energy towards the Lord is never going to be wholehearted or perfect. That's where his grace comes in. His grace comes in is because he sees our frail, weak attempt, and he meets us in that place. He, he joins us in that place. And the extraordinary thing is that when we actually offer our hearts before him, that he actually comes and increases 
our desire within us. That's his grace. He brings increase to our lives. Uh, I actually love, love, love A.W. Tozer. There's two quotes by him. One is, um, we must never rest until everything inside of us worships God. Another quote by A.W. Tozer, which is completely convicting, is if you're, if you're not worshiping God on Monday morning the way that you did the day before on Sunday, perhaps you're not worshiping him at all. See, we kind of have an understanding that we place God first, right? We place God, we place you above all else, above all else, above all else. We place him first. And then we go about our list of priorities and things in life where it's completely different. We don't place him first and then go about our life. He is at the center and everything that we are and everything that we do orbits around him. It's centered around. We actually never move beyond him. It's not so much that we've checked him off of our list of priorities. It's that everything, every decision, every thought, that's actually what we're going to find. When he says, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, do you even realize that when he says heart, mind, and strength, he basically, what he's defining there is the totality of all that you are. That there is no separation, that all that you are orbits around him. Now you question, is God narcissistic? <laughs> Why is it that he wants everything I am orbiting around who he is? It's the understanding that you were created for wholeheartedness. I guarantee this to you, that as long as we make excuses for half-heartedness, you are going to live dull, disconnected, frustrated, and without living fully alive before Christ. When we stop making excuses for our half-heartedness, come on, I'm a mom. I, I, I run several things. I serve on several boards. I never have an end to the things that I should be doing, the letters of recommendation I need to be writing. I mean, I always have a running list, and some nights I just have to turn it off and go, tomorrow, <laughs> it's all going to be there tomorrow with new things as well. <laughs> and if I lived with a, I'm the mom of a young child, I homeschool I run an organization. I serve on several other boards and help them run their organizations. All of the other things, things that I'm studying for, things that even with foster care, all, all of the list of things. I mean, most of you may not realize that even a small organization like this, between the legal and financial, <laughs> I mean, anybody that runs anything of minutia knows, it's just there's a constant litany, litany of demands and things to do. And then when you're doing that with several international organizations, there's never an end. I could easily just look at my life and kind of go, it's just not a season that I can be wholehearted. I was when I was single, did it to the best of my degree. Life is too distracting, too demanding. I'm giving God all that I can. I sit with students every day of the week and hear the demands of young adults, and I actually laugh <laughs> because when young adults, I know school, I know it's intense, but th then when you're single and you actually don't have a family on top of it, I always tell people, I'm like, if you do not have children and a spouse, like a spouse that you have to feed and take care of, <laughs> you're on holiday because you are. You wake up in your own bed and there's nobody there with you. 
Like there's no kid waiting to be fed. You know what I'm saying? It's you. You get to feed yourself. You get to shower by yourself. I mean, how many moms in the room, you actually understand that you skip shower days. That's just weird. Like when I was single, I did not skip shower days. But now you know. I have to prioritize it. Whoops, not fit in a shower today. That's just not happening. <laughs> Is that crazy that a shower becomes optional? <laughs> and it does. <laughs> I mean, there's many days I opt out of eating meals because I have too many other things. Anna knows this. (laughs) She's my health coach. (laughs) Just opt out. It just was not the priority today because there was too many other things that I had to do and I had to get to when married children, the demands of life. So any single one of us, I guarantee you have circumstances in your life that you could use as an excuse for why you cannot offer God your all. You, You do. You have good Good excuses, I'm sure, just like I do. But on some level, we have to put aside the excuses and say, you know what? I'm not saying I'm going to be able to do it with perfection, but as long as I set it as the pursuit of my life, why? Why? Number one, because he's worthy. You know, there is something about the measure that you're willing to pay for something or invest in something that reveals its worth. I'll use this as an example. Many of you guys don't know this. My husband that I'm married to, for 12 years, <laughs> this is how I knew I was worth a lot to my wife. I've got to marry this guy. For 12 years, I did not want to be married. I was not getting married. I was going to live a celibate life. I was excited about that. I felt like I was called overseas to missions. You know, I had things and places to go, people to see. And I was not getting married, and I was not having children. So for all of this season of my life, I, my husband, I, met, he, I went to high school with him, for those of you that don't know. Went to high school together. I was the leader of the Holy Club. I preached. I led Bible studies. He was the rebel. I got him kicked out. <laughs> I did. I truly got him kicked out of high school. That's awesome. But <laughs> no, he just has, if you don't know my husband, he just has that rebel, contrary, stir it up, you know, <laughs> which thank God he does. He probably wouldn't be able to do what we do in Cambridge without it. So for 12 years, in all honesty, I was traveling, ministering, doing all kinds of things, and he would always say, his response to me was, one day you're going to wake up and realize that I'm the very best thing that ever happened to you. I used to look at him and literally think, there has to be a word for people like you. (laughs) Just unflinching. Like, there's no... you know, this, I mean, 12 years. This wasn't six months, one year, two years, three years. You know, we're inching up there in age, you know. <laughs> Absolutely no flinching whatsoever inside of him. So to the point that I'm in a service one night, and this is me, not, not going to get married, girl. And the guy calls me out, and he starts prophesying about my husband, like as far as what we're called to do. And I'm like, oh, you know, and he literally uses the words. He's like, he's brassy. <laughs> He used the word brassy, and then years later when I would scratch my head and say, what is it? Like, what? And I'm like, that's a good word, brassy. (laughs) But do you want to know actually what those years actually, when the Lord did change my heart towards marriage and all of that, one of the things that I realized is the great worth that I had in his eyes. The worth that I had to him, because it wasn't like after a year, let's just be honest, after a year, he could have been like, you are not worth the effort. Seriously, am I seriously worth 12 years of effort? Uh, according to him, I am. But 
No, in all honesty, but it declares the worth. There is this story. How many of you guys know the pearl of great price? That there's a merchant that goes seeking a pearl, a pearl of great price. And what does it say? It says he sold all that he had in order to buy the field. So that speaks of he knew to him that pearl was worth everything. See, to the next guy, the pearl might not have been worth selling all that he had. There could have even been other people that looked at buying the field and said, it's not, it's not worth that amount to me. And they passed it by. But there was one individual that said, I want that field. I'm buying that field. And so therefore, I'm willing to sell all that I have for the pearl of great price. And this parable is speaking about Jesus, that he is the pearl of great price. And that we as his people, that it's that place of selling all that we have to purchase the pearl of great price, that place of fellowship and communion with him. The understanding is, is that he loves all of us the same. He has love for humanity, for mankind. But you have to understand, he is definitely going to entrust himself to a different measure to someone that has said, I've sold all that I might have relationship with you. He gives himself on the same appropriate level. That's not the giving of love, but that's the entrusting of relationship. That's the understanding. And this is what we find throughout. I want you guys to turn to 2 Chronicles 15. I don't know how many of you guys know the story of uh, King Asa. 2 Chronicles 15. So this is actually what we find in 2 Chronicles 15, verse 12 through, through 15. We actually find that King Asa, he calls his people and they make covenant with the Lord to be wholehearted. So we find, um, if you actually turn to 2 Chronicles 15, verse 2, it says, And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel had been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. But, but when in their time of trouble, <clears throat> they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times, there was no peace to, to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was at the, it was all the inhabitants of the land. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with great adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be uh, be weak for your work shall be rewarded. And then verse eight. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Odeb, the, the prophet, he took courage and he removed the abominable idol, idols from the land. So here's Asa. He's cleansing the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains. Then if you skip forward, so he cleanses the land. Verse 12, verse 12 it says, Then they entered into covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers. What was the covenant that they made? To seek the Lord God of their fathers with all of their heart and with all of their soul. So this is the entire land of Judah that they enter into covenant. And then verse 15, And all of Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn, and here we see it again, all of their heart, uh, they they had sworn with all of their heart and sought him with all of their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. 
Then if you jump down to verse 17, but the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal. So we actually find that the cleansing of the land of Judah, so we find that Asa made this covenant with the Lord of being wholehearted. If you skip down to chapter 16, you actually find that he makes a a treaty with Syria. So basically he makes a treaty with Syria and so that him and Syria can work together to defeat Israel, it kind of goes through this whole uh, relationship and alliance that he formed. And then we find in verse 17, basically he's rebuked by the prophet. The prophet comes and rebukes him. And the word of the prophet says, because you relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. He goes on to say, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. How many of you guys have heard this verse before? The eyes of the Lord search all of the earth for a heart that is loyal to him. Then he goes on to say, in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, for now on, you shall have wars. Let's look at Ace's response. This is important. So the prophet comes, and he says, instead of relying solely upon the Lord, you relied upon the king of Syria in making an agreement and alliance with him. And then, so basically, Asa is rebuked because he didn't rely solely upon the Lord. And what is Asa's response? Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. Way to go, Asa. For he was enraged at him, Because of this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. So we find them making a covenant with the Lord to seek him with their whole heart and to be wholehearted before the Lord. We find him making a treaty with the king of Syria. We find the prophet coming and basically saying, how come you didn't rely on the Lord? There were far greater armies that the Lord delivered you. The Lord endorsed you. The Lord did it by the power of your spirit, his spirit, and you did not have to rely upon another king or another treaty or make a compromise with another people. So the prophet rebukes him. And what does Asa do? He's enraged. And he imprisons the prophet. We find after this, Asa gets some nasty foot disease. And so then instead of Asa, then at that point, you know, submitting himself to the Lord and asking the Lord to heal him, he actually hardens his heart. And it says specifically in the word of God that he sought physicians rather than seeking the Lord. And this is how Asa dies. He dies of a foot disease. Come on, Asa. You cleanse the land of idols. You're called to love him with a whole heart. And it was declared over him that he would love the Lord with a loyal heart. And then he hardens his heart to the voice of the prophet. Can I ask you a question? What would have happened if when the prophet came, Asa repented? Simple, right? Simple. He could have simply repented. So then we actually, so this was Asa. He cleansed the land of idols, all of this. It was just 35 years before King Asa that King Solomon was on the scene. Here's another dude with the call to wholeheartedness. How many of you guys know King Solomon? Actually, let's turn really quickly to 1 Chronicles 28. So this is just 35 years prior to King Asa. Not a long time frame. 1 Chronicles 28. So this is where his father, King Solomon's father, David, is charging him. 
in verse 9. So 1 Chronicles 28, 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the Lord, your, the, the Lord God of your father and serve him, here's this word again, with a loyal heart, this wholeheartedness, and with a, living, uh, with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents and all of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off. So we actually find this calling upon Solomon to wholeheartedness. Um, and how many of you guys are familiar, Solomon, with his f- failures? So Solomon has the call to seek the Lord with a loyal heart. And how many of you guys, I, we don't have time right now to turn there. Uh, but in first, actually, let me find it for you so you can look it up on your own. In First Kings eleven fourteen, it actually kind of gives the breakdown of what happened with Solomon. Solomon was warned. He was warned, do not take the wives of foreign lands. And the warning was, for they'll turn your heart away from the Lord. And how many of you know Solomon had like 3,000 wives, 3,000 concubines? He took the wives of other lands. And it actually what it says in, in 1 Kings and what's spoken about Solomon is that his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. It speaks about the downfall of Solomon, how this was the calling that was upon him to be loyal, but instead he actually did not heed the counsel. You could call it a prophetic warning. And instead of heeding it, he took all of these wives, and it was said of him in 1 Kings, this was the downfall of Solomon, that his wives turned his heart toward other gods. So you have this calling upon Solomon. Who is Solomon's dad? Solomon's dad is King David who we find in the Bible, it's declared of him that he was a man after God's own heart. Let's just talk about King David for a second. Was he a man of perfection? Absolutely not. For any of you that do not know the story of David, I'll give it to you in like four sentences or less. He's king. While the troops are out to battle, he sees a woman on a rooftop, Bathsheba. He sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. Basically, he's like, okay, everybody's going to know now that her husband is out to war. How how noble. The husband's out fighting. She gets pregnant. So here's David in all of his wisdom. He's like, I'm going to call him back from battle. He's going to go home. He's going to sleep with his wife, and no one will ever know that it's not his child. Okay, so he thought he outsmarted it. He thought he, like, schemed a way around his sin. Uzziah, he comes back from battle. Good Lord, bless this man. He won't even go into his house. He sleeps on the doorstep. David's like, what up, dude? (laughs) Why didn't you go sleep with your wife? (laughs) Because he had a plan. He had a scheme. He had a way he needed it to go to cover up his sin. And basically, he goes on to say, I'm being loyal to battle. All my comrades are in battle. I will not find pleasure in my house. So what is David going to do now? How does he cover up his adulterous affair? You know what he does? He plots to have the dude put on the front line and get killed. So not only does he have an affair, an illicit affair, But then he actually schemes for the murder of the husband of the woman. Then once she's done mourning, he marries her. And most of you guys know the story. The child gets sick. He begs the Lord to spare him. The Lord does not spare the child. The child dies. And basically, David goes in. This is the response of David. David goes in and he weeps, he mourns, and he repents. David repents. You know the extraordinary thing is the prophet Nathan came to David. He came exposing David's sin. And you know what David did? What did we see? The story of Asa? (laughs) The prophet comes and rebukes him. Asa hardens his heart. 
He's enraged at the prophet, has the prophet in prison. Do you know what David does? The prophet comes and exposes his sin, and David confesses and repents. And now what we actually find of David's life, we find in Acts 13, verse 12. It's declared of David that he was a man after God's own heart. When David was confronted with his sin, he repented. He didn't continue on. He did not harden his heart in that place. He responded rightly. That's actually what we find of David. And in 1 Kings, this is beautiful. 1 Kings 15, verse 4, it says, Nevertheless, for David's sake, because this was about Solomon and the throne being taken from Solomon. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commandments all the days of his life. That's, that's what's trumpeted over David. And then I love this, except in the case, <laughs> except in the case <laughs> of Uriah the Hittite. So there's like this clause. He's declared that he did all that was right in the sight of the Lord. David, who was imperfect, David, who sinned, was chief among sinners. If you look at the gravity and the weight of what he committed, But yet, actually, what we find is this place is because of his response to the Lord in the place where he was convicted of his sin, that then he was qualified, and it's that small little except, (laughs) except for the case. And see, that's what each one of us need to understand, is that in our pursuit of wholeheartedness, that there may be things in our life that we feel like disqualify us. There may be places where the enemy accuses us and points the finger of, you want to be wholehearted? Well, look at this. Look what you did. This has disqualified you. You're not wholehearted. You're divided in heart. All of those accusations. But the extraordinary thing that David's life shows to us is it was said that he was a man with a loyal heart toward the Lord. The extraordinary thing about David is that it was his responsiveness to repent. He responded to the Lord. Do you know what that actually says? It says that he was not perfected, but he stayed in pursuit. What that means is that when you mess up, when things don't go the the way of wholeheartedness, when you recognize that you're divided in heart, it means don't give up. You are not disqualified. It does not disqualify you for all of the days of your life or deem you as imperfect or any of those things. What it says is respond rightly. Repent before the Lord. Respond in humility and brokenness and now keep going. It's the pursuit of your heart. It's not what you've perfected. It's not what you, I love the apostle Paul. He says, not that I have already attained, but I keep pressing on. It's that place of saying, regardless of how many times I fall. How many of you guys know that the Proverbs declares a righteous man falls seven times, but yet he rises. Wow. <laughs> it must be like on a timer or something. Oh, does it happen every week? See, I'm in kids' church every other week. I just figured it was my week that it happened. <laughs> this is what I love. So Psalm 18, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with this um, psalm, but this is literally, so it was like the most extended season of... <laughs> It's when uh, David came back from Ziklag. It's an extended season of compromise 
in David's life. 16 years of compromise in Ziklag. And he writes Psalm 18. When he returns from a place of compromise, David writes Psalm 18, and he opens it up with, I will love you. David declares, I will love you. It's the determination of our heart. It's the place where we determine to be wholehearted. He had 16 years of compromise in Ziklag. He comes back and he declares, I will love you. That's the place of saying, I am created for wholeheartedness. So although this may be my history, even for 16 years, it is not how I'm continuing, but I'm getting in the race for wholehearted pursuit. David declares, I will love you. I will love you. You know this power of choice? I mean, I'm not getting all humanistic on you here. I'm not like removing the side and the part of God. But there is a place where sometimes we're expecting God to do for us what he has delegated to mankind to do. You know, we sit back and go, God, I want to be wholehearted. Make me wholehearted. No, 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 (laughs) no. No, no, no. He responds. He responds to us. Do you realize that instead of Mary of Bethany, how many of you guys know the story of Mary of Bethany? Instead of Mary of Bethany, she has chosen the good part. She chose the good part. She made a conscious decision. There was the choosing of the good part. And that is the same for each and every one of us. When we look at Matthew 22, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and strength. I'm just going to say to you, there is nobody in this room that that comes naturally to. I don't care what worship leader is, you know, high on the charts. I don't care what preacher or, you know, uh, book writer or any of those things that you look at. There is not any more grace upon their life to pursue wholeheartedness. You know, it's very much like this discipline. I, I meet with people all the time. They're like, I read the word. I'm reading the word. I'm reading the word. And I don't feel like I'm like growing. I don't feel like I, but you know, there's a simple <laughs> analogy. If you have neglected going to the gym for years and you start for like two, three weeks, all of a sudden, if you're like, it's not, it's not doing any good. <laughs> it's not working. It's not working. It works for everybody else except for me. You know, stay with it. <laughs> you continue. I guarantee you stick with it for six months to a year, it'll work for you. How about the principle of taking vitamins? How many people are like, I've been taking vitamins for two weeks and I just don't feel any better. I don't feel better. You know, you try taking them for a year two years, those supplements and things, that's when you see change and prolonged change because you've stuck with it. And that's the understanding when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you are waiting for the fire of the Holy Spirit to come upon you and somehow do something supernaturally, it's not going to happen. But I guarantee you, if you posture your life in a specific manner, he will respond. And like I said, it is not, it's not that we're taking away from or detracting from the grace of God. That is the grace of God. That when we position ourselves, he comes in his mercy. It's his grace that he responds. So I'm going to go through uh, four very practical things with you as far as growing in wholeheartedness. And we're closing out here. Love the Lord, with all, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Your heart is your affections, your desires. So forget the externals of your life. Here we go with the heart. The internal place of our 
our heart. It's the place of our desires. You know, that's the place where we have to be gut honest. If we don't sincerely desire the Lord above all else, we just say that, God, I'm not at the place. I desire football or baseball or whatever. I don't really. <laughs> uh, there's other things I desire. But you, in all honesty of just saying, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to just challenge everybody. I know we're heading into November, and so the word fast around Thanksgiving is just almost like a curse word. I get it. Fasting can be in the manner of food, but I am going to say to you, one of the greatest spiritual disciplines the Lord has given to us as a gift is the posture of fasting. If there is something you feel as though has your affections more than Christ has them, I, I challenge you, I charge you, I encourage you to fast in that area of your life. If it's media, if it's entertainment, if you're addicted to a certain show and you find you crave it more than the word of God, try fasting it. Just try. Whatever area has our affections, I just encourage you to, our affections is also our emotions. Our emotions say a lot about us. How out of control our emotions get, whether it be, you know, anger, jealousy, frustration, you know, all of those kind of things. It speaks a lot of where our heart is before the Lord. So number one, our heart is our affections. Number two, love the Lord your God with all your soul. Your soul is your personality. Your soul is the expression of who you are inwardly. It's the revealing of who you are. And let's just be honest. What's the number one way that your personality is revealed? I mean, you could say something like your clothing or your image, how you portray yourself, but not really. I mean, because the shyest of people can dress extremely bold. The boldest of people can still dress very moderately. Like, that's not really, really it's through your mouth. <laughs> your mouth is how your soul expresses itself. Likes, dislikes, personality, uniqueness of who you are. And so when we say, love the Lord your God with all your soul, if you even translate to the place of what we allow to come out of our mouths in our speech, you know, to the degree that we grumble, the degree that we complain, the degree that we gossip, to the degree that we criticize, you know, all of those things, the place of our soul, that in the area of our personality, that it would be surrendered and yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. We all know our mind is our thoughts. That we fill our minds um, with longing and loving many, many things. We fill the meditation of our lives with many things, and it's what we meditate upon. Here's the question. How many of us actually use our mind in worshiping the Lord in the sense that we meditate upon his word? The meditation of the word of God. How many of you guys are familiar with Psalm 119? Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. The renewing of our mind actually comes from the place of meditating upon the word of God. If you need a renewal in your mind, I challenge you, discipline yourself in the word of God, whether that's five minutes a day, whether that's 10 minutes a day, but discipline your mind in the, in the word of God and meditating on the word of God. And then lastly, love the Lord your God with all of your strength, which is your resources. Our strength is actually our time, our talent, our money, our reputation, and our influence, that we would love the Lord with every dimension of our lives. I want us to close out with a, a word of prayer. But, you know, specifically, if there is anybody that wants prayer in this place, like I said, the fire of the Holy Spirit just doesn't come upon us and consume us, kind of uh, outside of our will. 
that it's almost something he does in a vacuum. If you even look at Book of Acts, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in fire, those individuals had set themselves into an upper room. They were praying and they had postured themselves to receive the fire of the Holy Spirit. If you are here today and you definitely say, I've given up on a wholehearted pursuit. I've seen it as unattainable. I've seen it as impossible. So I haven't even reached for that place. See, in that place, we're not even allowing the grace of God to meet us. So if that's you, if you've been in a place that you've almost just given up, or maybe you've never even had vision for wholeheartedness, I want to encourage you in these four areas that we just went through to position and posture your life before him because you're created for wholeheartedness. You're created to be wholeheartedly in love, and it's the greatest manifestation of his worth. Our lives declare his worth. Our response to him declares his, the, the worth that he holds in our lives. Let's stand to our feet. God, we thank you, Father, for how clear your word is, Lord, that we are created to be wholehearted before you. God, to love you with all of our hearts and our soul and our mind and God, we come before you today, Father, as frail, weak humans and individuals. God, knowing that there's many areas in our life, God, that we don't love you fiercely and unrelentingly. God, that we don't love you with all that we are. But God, today we take heart, even with the testimony of David. Lord, that it was declared of him that he had a loyal heart before you. God, as we see that it wasn't because all of his actions were perfect, but he kept his heart in pursuit. So God, we come before you today, Father, and we ask, Lord, that we would be found as those, Lord, that are in pursuit of wholeheartedness. God, we say that we in no way want to resign our lives to half-heartedness before you. God, we in no way want to resign ourselves to religious uh, obligations of going about the duties that are required. But God, we want to be those, Lord, that are extravagantly in love and abandoned in love towards you. God, I ask you as a community of people, Lord, that you've gathered here in Cambridge. God, would you raise us up as a people, Lord, of wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ. God, I ask that you would deliver us from mindsets of mediocrity and compromise. God, I ask that you would deliver us, God, from even the, the gospel of religion that has preached wholeheartedness. Oh, sorry, half-heartedness. God, I ask that that half-hearted posture that has been acceptable and even set as the standard before us. God, we ask that our mind would be renewed according to the Word of God and that we would see and perceive that which we are created for. God, we long for the fullness the fullness of who you are. God, I ask, Lord, even now, open our eyes, Lord, to see your worth, that you truly are the pearl of great price. And knowing your value and your worth, God, that we would willingly and joyfully sell all 
that we might obtain the pearl. that you would forever lead us, Lord, in the pursuit of wholeheartedness. And God, that we would clearly see that compromises and excuses, Lord, that they only deaden and dull our hearts when you've called us to be fully alive and awakened. God, we ask, Lord, that we would be found even as David with a heart response that is repentant, that we would respond accordingly to your spirit. So God, we thank you that you respond to sacrifice, Lord, that you send the fire of your Holy Spirit upon sacrifice. And so God, we say as a body of people, God, that we desperately need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire upon our hearts. God, we thank you that you are an all-consuming fire that even as your word declares that you are an unrelenting fire, Lord, that you consume all that's in your path. And so God, we ask you that you would come and baptize our hearts, God, with fire afresh and anew. Lord, that you would ignite our hearts with passion and with desire, with longing, Lord, with burning passionate love for the man Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that it's your grace, Lord, that you meet us, Lord, in the weakest attempts. Lord, that when we posture our hearts before you, that you respond. God, we rejoice in you today. If there's anybody specifically that wants prayer, you're welcome to come on up and I'll pray with you. And Will's going to close out with a final song here.